last week, I think it was, um, myself and my two daughters walked into Super Target, the big one in Rose, Roseville, the big one. And we walk in and we are met by this massive Christmas display. Maybe some of you have seen it. And as I'm looking at this massive Christmas display, something caught my eye. Out of the corner of my eye, on the right-hand side, there was a little tiny display with some Thanksgiving cards. And I remember saying out loud to the girls, poor Thanksgiving. Poor little Thanksgiving. There's Christmas! Come and buy all this stuff! And there's, oh, if you get around to it, make sure you say thanks. Oh, today I'm going to make the case as best I can with the time I have that your life will be qualitatively different, qualitatively better if thanksgiving is the lens through which you see life. We've got a lot to cover today, so let's dive right in. If you are a note taker, I want to encourage you to take out this little green insert and write this down. Here's our starting point today. Good parents teach their kids to say what two words? Thank you. Isn't that an important thing to teach your kids? To say thank you. How many of you have ever seen a spoiled kid? How many have ever seen spoiled adults? Absolutely. It's a selfie world. And imagine this. There's a place to write this in your notes too. Imagine how God's people would stand out if thanksgiving was the lens through which we walked into every store and walked out of every door. I mean, literally think about this for a second at least. Think what it would be like if when we walked into a store, we were almost drawn to our knees because we're like, God, who are we that you and let us be born into a nation like this, or you let us come and be a part of a world like this where there's all of this abundance all around us. What if that was the lens when we walked into every store? Wow. Wow. And what if when we walked out, our wow was even bigger because I, I remember walking out of a Target before when the sun was setting. And what if we could see the beauty of the world around us? And what if when it was sunny and warm, we could go, wow, God, what a beautiful day. And what, what if when it was raining... We could say, God, thank you for sending the rain. And what if when it was snowing, we could look out and say, you know, this is really beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's a whole lot more fun to ski or snowboard too when there's snow, right? What if when you foster gratitude in a young person, you're doing more than teaching them to be polite, aren't you? It, it, it changes everything. If you can see things through a thankfulness lens. I, um, I read a story this week about a St. Louis doctor, and he had a young man come into his office. The young man was in high school, and the young man had lost his hand at the wrist. And when the doctor asked the handicapped teenager about his handicap, the teenager said, I'm not handicapped. I just don't have a right hand. And this young man was a leading scorer on his football team and was just a great young man. And how many, of you would wanna, how many of you would wanna hang around a guy like that who had that kind of attitude, right? Those of you who employ people, isn't that the kind of person you want to employ? Someone who has an attitude like that. So when we are teaching the next generation, those of us who are of the prior generation, we're teaching the next generation to be thankful. We're doing more than teaching them to be polite. Because thankful people, thankful people are happier people. Thankful people see the world in a different way. They're more content. Thankful people are more likely to be liked. 
They're more likely to get promoted than their peers who believe the world should revolve around them. I talked to uh, Pastor Dan after the first service. He said, my wife, she's had all these psychology classes. And she says, thankfulness. It helps you in everything, even your test scores. They did this little exercise where you say, when you say you're thankful for three things before your test, you usually do better. If you didn't study, it's not going to get you from an F to an A or anything, but it helps you. It gets your mind in a different framework. So there's all of these benefits to being thankful. And may I present to you, thankfulness is a mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you find yourself feeling too entitled, like you deserve more and all these kind of things, that's like a warning light coming on in your dashboard. An opportunity to say, okay, God, help me. Help me to get back to your heart, to your mind. Well, if you're just joining us, several weeks ago, we started a series called Stretched. And this is the last week in that series. After this, we're moving on to, to Advent. And we've got a great series planned for Advent. But this is the last of those, those series, the series called Stretched. And, and one of the things we've been talking about is, in the series is how stretched we often feel. We feel stretched when it comes to our calendar. There's not enough time. We feel stretched with our budgets. There's not enough money. And one of the things we've been trying to do in this series is to say, what if we stretched in the areas that matter most? And I think this is one of those areas that matters most. What if we were stretched when it comes to Thanksgiving? And we began to think of Thanksgiving as more than just something you do once a year on a Thursday surrounded by a feast. But what if this was the lens through which we saw the world? Our memory verse for this series is Matthew 6.33. If you know it, say it with me. If you don't know it, we'll put it right up on the screen so you can say it with us as well. All right, here we go. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33. He talks, this is the word, these are the words of Jesus, and he talks about the kingdom of God. Elsewhere, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. It is a very different kingdom than the kingdom of Target, than the malls of America. It's a very different world. And the life of Jesus, the king, looks very different than those who get upset when I run out of Diet Coke and I have to go all the way to the store to get more. You know, It's a very different attitude, mindset that he has. So let's look at some of his words. Um, these are the words of Jesus as found in the book of Matthew, Matthew 26, uh, 28. If you have your Bibles, why don't you take a look at this uh, here. And if you don't have a Bible at home, I want to encourage you to take one home free today. We keep a stack of them there at the table, and, and those are for you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one absolutely free. All right, here you go. This is Matthew 26, actually starting with verse 26, and then we do a dot, 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 and we move to 28. It says this, Now as they were eating... Jesus took a cup. And let me hit pause right there for a second in case you don't know the context here. This is on the eve of his betrayal. And one of the things that we read actually in multiple places leading up to this passage, we know that Jesus knew what was coming. We knew that Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be abandoned. We know that he knew that he was going to be beaten. He was going to go through the mockery of a trial. That his only worldly possessions would literally be stripped from him. And he'd be executed Jesus knew this. And yet, on the eve of his betrayal, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given what? Thanks. Isn't that a different mindset than most of us? Jesus knew all these things were going to happen. He had devoted his life completely to the Father. And all these things were going to happen. And yet, he gave thanks. How can we experience more of what Jesus had? That's what we want to press into today. 
How can we experience more of what he had? How can we learn to be thankful, not just one Thursday per year when we sit down to a feast, but in all situations? How can we experience more of the kingdom perspective that Jesus had? Well, the Bible is filled with passages on Thanksgiving. Sometime you should go on online and find a resource like BibleGateway.com and type in the word thanks, do a keyword search. There are so many passages that speak to Thanksgiving and giving thanks the passage I was drawn to this week, though, doesn't even say anything about thanks. But I feel like it has so much to say about this lens of thankfulness. So let's turn to Matthew 18. Here's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Matthew 18, starting with verse 1. Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 1. It says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. These are strong words. Jesus says you won't even enter the kingdom of God unless you become like children. This child, which begs the question, what did he mean by that? And throughout the centuries, scholars and pastors and priests have been taking on that question. And those of us who are parents are wondering, where'd you come up with that answer? Because in their sermons, they say things like this, and I'm not making this up. They say things like what Jesus meant is that children are always thankful. What? And they said this, children are always obedient to their fathers. I'm like, what? And they say, children are so receptive to instructions. What? And then there's the other realists who I read in the commentaries. And they said this, one wonders whether some commentators have ever been parents. I'm like, amen, RT France. Do you have to be a taught as a child to be selfish? No. It comes very naturally. Do you have to teach a child words like no, or mine, or why, 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 why? Do you have to teach a child to open up a full refrigerator and say, there is nothing to eat? Do you have to, someone said after the last service, someone said, Chris, you forgot one. Do you ever have to teach a child to say, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. You know, what did Jesus mean when he said, unless you become a ch- like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven? All you have to do is read verse 4. So let's look at verse 4. We read through 1 through 3. Verse 4 says this, Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's really important that we put this into context, put this into the original context, because this could be very misleading if we just read into it with our own eyes. Because in our framework, at least for most of us in the English language, the English word humble can be misleading. Because for us, this is actually a positive attribute. In our society, for the most part, except in very small niches, humility is looked upon as a positive thing. That wasn't so. In fact, there's a whole series we could do sometimes how Jesus changed the world when it came to how they saw humility. So we have to get past that first. This was an undesirable thing. To tell someone you should be humble was just 
Why would you say that? that does, that's not something we want. And then it's, it's more than this too. In the English language, we think of humility and we normally think of a mental attitude. I'm a humble person. In that time, in that place, it was more of a status when you said humble. You weren't talking about how someone saw themselves in their head. It was literally, they were of humble origins. They were in a humble place in life. They were lower when it came to status. And that is something that we really have to really think differently, at least most of us in our society. Because in our culture, when it comes to kids, there are so many parents who are actually kind of doing the opposite. They're, they're taking the helicopter parent approach and kids aren't kind of in a humble place. It's like, oh, this is my kid. And we become their chauffeur and we become their butler and we become their defense lawyer if anyone tries to say anything, right? And so this is very countercultural. It was for them. It's very countercultural for us, what Jesus says. If you even want to enter the kingdom of God, become like this child. Perhaps this gives a little bit of helpful context. This is from uh, one of my Bible background commentaries. They said this, the most powerless members of ancient society were little children. In most of ancient society, age increased one's social status and authority. In Jewish culture, children were loved, not despised. But the point is that they had no status apart from that love and no power, no privileges apart from what they received as total dependence on their parents. This idea of rank was so important in the ancient world, and it was right there in that time, in that place. If on a map, Jerusalem is here, right down here there was this area or this community called the Qumran community. They're the ones that we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from. Rank was so important to them that every year they would re-rank everybody. Here's where you stand. And this is where you get to sit as a result. And here's the speaking order also as a result. They were ranked that specifically. And it's interesting. I wish we had more time to go into all of the the context leading up to this. Because in the chapters leading up to this one, the disciples have started to notice, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. Why does Peter get to go with you on these special little trips? How about James and John get to go with you on these special trips? You're talking about this kingdom that's going to come. Well, we want to know in this kingdom to come, am I going to get a spot in your cabinet too? Now, that stuff never happens in our society. But back then, that kind of thing used to happen. All this positioning. And not only that, I would encourage you to look at the pericope that comes right before this one. Because in that one, Jesus provides a teaching on taxes that could easily be misunderstood to mean that God's sons and God's daughters are entitled to certain material privileges here on earth. So Jesus does what Jesus does so well. He throws this curveball that not only was a curveball to them then, it's a curveball to us now. And he says, if you want in, in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, become like this child in this context whose value, whose provision is entirely dependent on their parents. N.T. Wright writes this, he says, humility is what counts in God's kingdom because pride and arrogance are the things which more than anything else in God's world distort and ultimately destroy human lives. Their own And those are the people they affect. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. 
In fact, someday, we'll have to write this down, Jason. Someday we should take this whole section right here, chapter 16 through 18. Because this whole section, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God and how different it is from the kingdom of this world. And what's really fascinating to me is the only two times in any of the Gospels where the word church is used, it's referenced by Jesus. It only shows up in chapter 16 of Matthew and chapter 18 of Matthew right around this verse about humbling ourselves like a child. There's so much here for us. But what I want us to look at right now is thankfulness. What does this have to say about thankfulness? And what this has to say about thankfulness is everything. Last week, this is actually embarrassing to share this with you, but last week um, we shared a story. And in the story, this is the embarrassing part. I'll get to the embarrassing part in a second. But the, we shared a story about a, a young man named Aaron, somebody I knew since he was a teenager. And Aaron is now doing all kinds of cool things all around the world. He went to the Congo with some other men, and they were teaching these pastors in the Congo about Christ and how to be good leaders. And one of the pastors raised their hand, and the pastor said, I got a question. They said, what's your question? The pastor said, when I steal and I don't get caught, is that a sign of God's blessing? They're like, didn't expect that question. But what happens is we can be in our culture, we can become so blind because just everyone does these things that we can become blind to the obvious, which then begs the obvious question, what are we blind to in our society? Well, here's the embarrassing thing. This is how blind I am. I'm so blind that I thought we were done with this bucket. For the last couple of weeks, I had been bringing up this bucket. I brought it out the beginning of the service, brought, uh, beginning of the series, brought it out last week. And in week one of the series, we said, this bucket is like time, isn't it? Where, where we've got this small little container and there's, there's, we just can't fit everything in it. All the things that we want to do, we just can't fit them in our time bucket. And that's a problem. And then last week, talked about the budget bucket, right? And I'm like, this is a problem. Look at all of these things. We can't fit it all in our bucket. Our budget's not big enough. And so we gave that illustration, and I'm like, we're done with that illustration. Let's move on to some other things. Let's get more positive. Let's turn that corner. That illustration's done. Packed it up, literally put it in our storage unit. And this week, I believe the Holy Spirit whispered to me, I said, that illustration's not done. You missed the most important point of the whole thing. What if we looked at that illustration, the exact same illustration, not through an entitlement lens, but through a thanksgiving lens? (laughs) Of course, it changes everything. When it comes to time, instead of being these spoiled little kids, I'll talk to myself, instead of being a spoiled little kid who says, God, there's too much to do. I can't fit it in my bucket. I need a bigger bucket. It's like, no. (laughs) Look at this amazing world full of so many opportunities, so many great things. Thank you, God, for creating this world where the adventures are never-ending. Instead of looking at, God, my bucket's too small. I can't fit in everything I need. What if we looked at this world? Look at this amazing world. Look at all of the opportunities. Look at all the great things that are there. And then taking this a step farther... That lens can even help us to see and remind us this world, is, this life is short. This world is our eternal home. When, we, when we're forced to think about limits, it helps us to think about eternity, where the same limits aren't in play, where we're not limited by time. It's almost as if God has created a world that points us to the world to come. Well, think about this. Think about a, 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 a reality in which 
you could plant a sequoia seedling and line your driveway with them and have time to watch them grow. Think of, that doesn't that just change the whole, right, paradigm? On this way to school, uh, uh, some time ago, Andrew and I, or Emma and I passed uh, some dogs, and we were thinking, imagine what kind of dogs you could breed in a billion years. Why do we just miss? Why do I miss that in this illustration where I'm like, God, thank you even for limits because these limits help me from being too comfortable in this world because this is short. 80-year lifespan, 100-year lifespan, it's short. God is so good. Even in our limits, learning to say thank you is helpful. Even thank you for these limits that point me to the life that I really was born for. Thank you for these good gifts around us. I'd encourage you to write this down. This thought came to me, and you're going to need to process this one because I haven't seen this in print before, and that's dangerous sometimes when you see something you haven't seen in, in, in print before. And, but, but test this. Put this up and against God's word and reflect on this. I'm coming to the conclusion that if you're not able to experience God's amazing grace through a thankfulness lens in this life, even heaven won't be good enough for you. Let me say that again. If you aren't able to experience God's amazing grace through a thankfulness lens in this life, even heaven won't be good enough for you. So, how do we foster thankfulness? You know, every decision also requires disciplines, right? You want to run a marathon, there's going to be disciplines with that. You want to have a better marriage, there's disciplines with that. If you want to do anything that matters in life, you want to get a college degree, there's disciplines with that. So it is with thanksgiving. You don't just pray, God, make me more thankful person anymore than you say, God, help me learn Spanish. You know, there's disciplines, right? So here's some. Let me give you the first three rapid-fire succession. You can write these down in your notes because I want to spend extra time on the last couple. So here are some just no-brainers. You want to become a more thankful person? Simplify and slow down. Can I get an amen? You'll enjoy life a whole lot better if you're not trying to do so much and if you're taking life where you can stop and smell the roses, right? Number two, surround yourself with positive people. Another no-brainer, right? It's positive people. It rubs off on you, so do negative people. Number three, actually, this is another one. We have to write this down, Jason, too. Um, we've got to do a series on screens. Oh, we've got to do a series on screens. You want to be a more thankful person? Limit your screen time. And don't go shopping nearly as much. All right, these are obvious, but let's spend a little more time on this next one. The next one is this. You want to become a more thankful person? Here's a discipline for disciples. Give thanks throughout your day. The very act of sa- saying thank you makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Don't just do thanks for a meal again once a year. What if every time you have food, you pause to say thank you in a world where people don't have food? Think how that would change. Think if you woke up saying thank you for specific things. Think about going to bed saying thank you for specific things. I I started making this a discipline this year. Um, This spring was the hardest in 25 years of ministry. This spring was the, the hardest I've ever been through. And it was so easy for me to start thinking about all the things that I wish were different. And so what I started to do, I actually physically wrote down on this card, Thanksgiving, explanation mark, at least 10 things. And I started every day listing 10 things that I was thankful for. It changes you. After about six days of this, you have to start going beyond just the cliches. You have to start thinking categories. Okay, category of water. 
oh, wow, I'm thankful that I have clean water. I'm thankful that I have clean water in my house. I'm thankful that we have hot water. You know, it's all of these things that are all around us every day that we just forget. We just forget. So that's a, a discipline I'd encourage you to do. And that discipline will be a lot easier if you also include number five. And that's the one that I want to spend the most time on. So at this time, I want to ask Ramundo to come on up and join me up here because Ramundo's going to help me with this next section. Now, um, as he's coming up, I want to encourage you to write this down because here's the number five. Number five is this. Don't simply outsource your outreach. Don't simply outsource your outreach. Every disciple of Jesus Christ Christ is called to reach out to those who are lost and hurting in Jesus' name. Every one of us are. And a lot of people think, oh, just write a check for a missionary or I'll write a check to an organization. I want to encourage you to not simply outsource your outreach, but to personally get involved. And hopefully this will make more sense as we talk. I had mentioned last week that we were going to share the story a little bit behind this cross. And here's a Cliff Notes version of it. Um, this cross was made by this guy right here, by Ramundo. Ramundo made that cross. And when you pause and think about all of what that represents, it's profound. Because as he's going to share here in just a few minutes, uh, not a few minutes, a few seconds, as he's going to share, um, Ramundo grew up on the streets of Juarez, Mexico, and had never really been out of the city before coming up to Minnesota in 2010. He had a really tough situation and yet here he is, um, learned English. I'm so proud of you, man, because I still haven't learned Spanish, and I'm 47, man. This is, I know, You'll every get, year. You'll in, get in, heaven, in heaven, I, can, I got time. Um, and so, so he learned English. He got his degree in high school, got his welding degree, and he made that cross. And not just that cross. Here's some other stuff. Take a look at this. Rose, we brought that. It's right there on the, um, below the speaker. I'd encourage you to look it up, up close afterwards, but there it is on the screen. There's the cross. We can go to the next page uh, or the next slide. He made this incredible bookcase. We got Mike. You want to hit the next slide? Um, this incredible bookcase. And uh, Christmas is coming up. If you need some gift ideas, I'm just telling you. Just telling you. Right here. Talk to this man right here, Ramundo Inc. So, um, but in the, there's a lot of things we could talk about here. But what I want to focus is on this idea of thanksgiving and being thankful. And maybe when you hear a little bit of his story, it just is a great reminder of how different our lives are here than in most of the world. And when we get up and close and personal to that, it just makes us realize, wow, we are so blessed. So why don't you share a little bit about your story, about growing up in, in Juarez. Sure. I just try to fix this because... It's my first time having it, so it's kind yeah. of tricky to get it. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, like I said in the first service, you know, like um, every every family is different in Mexico, in Juarez, you know. It depends just the way your uh, parents um, raise you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my way was pretty pretty tough, you know. Um, my My dad was always on drugs, you know, so uh, he died of that, you know, he overdosed yep. of drugs, so he died when I was five, you know, so. And then you, I did, you yeah, saw I saw when they happened, yeah, I saw him dying of pain, you know, so. so <coughs> you should pause for one second, so let that sink in for a second, you're five years old, the man that you most look up to in the entire world, because you really... You loved him. I, I mean, yeah, I love and respect him. And yeah, he was one of the, I mean, my best friend, you know. Yeah. He was always there for me. And I 
24/7 I was like the only the child who always close to him, you know. And so imagine watching your dad dying of a drug overdose in front of yourself and trying to recover from that. So So yeah, so once that happened, I always thought that my dad he was always going to come back, you know. I always thought that to myself that he always comes back, you know. But um I realized he he was not, you know. So that's when he hit me pretty hard, you know. That's when I knew someday when I grow up, you know, and I have kids and all that, he was not going to be there, you know, for those special moments. So that was, I mean, when I, once I grew up, I learned that. You know, it was pretty tough to take it in, you know. So once, once that happened, my, my mom really got really, really depressed, you know. She was, she struggled a lot. You know, she did struggle a lot, and um, she she just was depressed, de- um, stressed about it. So she decided one day she just decided to kick everybody out of the house, mm-hmm. all my siblings. You know? How old were you when that happened? Like six. Like six years old. Yeah. Again, imagine being six years old, kicked out of your house in Juarez, Mexico. And so I... <laughs> For me, I thought that it was that was great. You, you know? thought it was great. I mean, <laughs> just because I I had no rules, yep. you know, mm-hmm. and I could go outside and do whatever yep. I want, you know. Yep. And but the, the sad thing was that my mom didn't want me to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, she she told me to not ever show at the house again. You know, she was going do not ever show up. Yep. You know, so felt so, rejected and felt yep. she just felt she, like she didn't love you and yeah, yeah. And so I never knew why. You know, and I just thought that that was what she struggled with, you know. And that's what this, the stuff that she went through. And, I mean, by that time, I was happy, mm-hmm. you know, because I got to go outside and do my own things, you know. Yeah, until you got hungry. Yeah. So, so that. Yeah, so tell them about that. How do you, how did you get food? How did you get shelter? So, I had to sleep, like, under bridges, you know, or I had to sleep in the streets, you know, pretty much to, because I had nowhere to go. You know, so I have, I decided to, when I was like seven or six, I decided to join games, you know, be a part of a game. So I can survive, you know. Mm -hmm. So I used to steal and um, ask people for money, Mm -hmm. you know, so I can survive, you know. Otherwise, I would just die of hunger, you know. And that's just how my life was, you know, pretty much growing up until... I grew up with my grandparents, you know, when they found out that my life was been so hard, you know, was been tough. And my mom never explained them to them why, you know, she just never talked to my grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. and they found out, you know, I don't know how they found out, but that was um, good, you know, that I got to be with them, with my grandparents. So I, I went to the children's home, mm-hmm. you know. And I'll, um, how did I? Yeah, well, and then, and then, so you're at the children's home, and then you find out that some people are looking for you. Yeah, so that was um, interesting. That was <laughs> really interesting. So, should I explain? You don't have to do the whole story, but who's looking for you? The cartel. And what do they want to do? Kill me. Kill him. And so, you found out, there. Were, we got a phone call up mm-hmm. here, and then you found out you were going to come to... Yeah, that I had to be, I was... I was trying to get 
well, they want me to kidnap me, you know? Yeah. So I was really close to being kidnapped, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, Van showed up in the whole bit, right? Yeah, they show up and they, they knew where I was at, mm-hmm. you know? So the whole children's home was in danger, mm-hmm. you know? The whole children's home was in danger, so they had to get me out of the country, yeah. you know, as soon as possible, yeah. you know? So, so did you even know where Minnesota was? I or, didn't know. No. And uh, so what was it? He had never been on an airplane in his life. Airplane starts in Juarez, Mexico, ends in December 2010. The snow is like this deep. What was it like getting off that plane? <laughs> what did I get myself into? I didn't, I didn't know, actually, that it was going to be that cold. That cold, you know, yeah. Or a lot of snow. So when I remember when I came to Minnesota, and I have just a lot on sleep, you know, yeah, like, like yours, you know. Yep. And I was freezing, you know, I was dying pretty much, yeah. you know. So I got used to it, you know. Yeah. I got used to it now. So <laughs> it's been four years, you know. Yeah, it's so been four years. Oh. Yeah, so. But we, um, oh, what are you going to say? Okay. Gonna say? I was just going to say we're so thankful that you did. Um, you've blessed our lives. You've been so inspirational. Learning English, getting your high school diploma, getting this welding degree, meeting and, and proposing to a wonderful young woman. I mean, this yeah. is... This is fantastic. We're so excited. Oh, she's beautiful, by she's the way. She's beautiful, by the way. He adds that. Yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah she is. Um, you know, one of the things that you're going to see uh, out there, and I've mentioned it to those of you who are regulars, you've heard this before, but those who haven't, one of my soapboxes is um, all of the bloggers out there who have good intentions, Christian bloggers, who just keep telling how wrong it is, how bad it is to do short-term mission trips, to do the types of things that we're choosing to invest in. They say you do more harm than good. You're, you're adding to all these things. May I present to you um, that we hold a very different view of that here, in part because of our experiences here. You know, Juarez is a city of like a million and a half people. And if you don't have a personal relationship, they're a city of a million and a half people. You talked about how at the beginning, you know, everyone has a story. Yep. And there's a lot of hard stories. And you can't help everybody that you want to help, but you can make a difference in the lives of a few. And when you know them by name and know them by story, not only does that hit deeper, but it also can change you because instead of being just, I'm the benefactor who's giving this, you know, money or whatever to people, we start to get humbled in the process too because we recognize how much I have to learn from you, how, how much you've done things in such a short period of time that I've never been able to do. It's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know? And so I want to encourage you to not just outsource your outreach, but to find organizations and or people. You can't do everything, but to find an organization, a group of people where you can get up close and personal, where you can be personally engaged and build real relationships. Something I was, it's so new that I, we just added it this morning on our, on our slides. This thought came to me that efficiency is a lower tier value than relationships in the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen to that? You know, is, is financial efficiency a value in the kingdom of heaven? Yes. And we take that very serious. Every dollar that comes in, we're very serious about stewarding that really well. And that's a lower value than relationship. And there's some times where this extra investment of time and money, it really makes a difference because it changes us. It changes, it, it, it changes everything. So we want to encourage you to consider that. Well, I want to invite the worship band forward at this time. Jason found a great song to close out our series. So the song that they're going to sing, this is a close out to the entire series. But as we close out the series, let me close out this specific teaching with the reminder that a good parent teaches their kids to say what? 
thank you. Does God love us enough to teach us to say thank you? Yes, he does. He loves us enough. And one of the things he said is, if you want, if you want to enter this kingdom of heaven, become like a child. And then my mind went to, think of the season that comes next. Advent. How did Jesus come into this world? As a child. So let's, let's pray along these things. And then we'll close out with this great song. Father, thank you so much for my brother Raimundo here for bringing his life. And even as I look out here, he's got so many lives that he's touched. There's so many families out here who are so close to him and he's making such a positive impact in this world. And we are humbled by this young man who has overcome. He has overcome so many things that would have taken out most of us. But he's overcome, Lord. So thanks for his inspiration. Thank you. And Lord, thank you for pulling us into significance. Instead of just buying a cross at a store, this cross has a story. And it's your story. Lord, bring us into your story, the story of of a God who so loved the world that he came as a child to show us a kingdom that's unlike any kingdom of this world. Lord, help us to enter your kingdom like a child and to say thank you for that opportunity, that invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you.